0: Well, we're going to take a look tonight at uh, starting at Psalm 87 in the Psalms. But before we do that, I'm going to take you on a little tour in the New Testament, in the New Testament. And uh, after I get done reading these three scriptures, we'll pray. If you want to follow with us, we're going to just turn over uh, and we're going to read Acts or excuse me, Ephesians. I don't know why I said Acts. <laughs> Uh, 5.19. We're going to read uh, Ephesians 5.19, uh, which says this. And maybe that's not it. Hold on. (laughs) That's not the one, but I have it right here. I guess it is it. Ephesians 5.19. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody, or singing and making melody in your or our heart to the Lord. What is the church to be about? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why is the church to be about that? It's because it's the natural outflow of what we just read. The Lord put a new uh, song in your heart where previously you were all about yourself. You had a sin nature, and the Lord came and did something for you (laughs) he made you new a new creation so something that's inside now comes out and it's different it's speaking about his glories and his attributes and no longer so much about yourself or myself and we speak to one another isn't that interesting We talk to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and we're just making melody in our heart, but not just making melody in our heart. We can all do that, but to the Lord. It's directed somewhere, but to someone, the Lord. And how about this in Colossians 3.16? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So I want you to notice how tied... To the word our singing is, all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. What? I'm to admonish somebody in a psalm? Yep. And hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Wow. The word of God and singing and uh, praising goes hand in glove. It's a natural outflow of what the Lord's done in making us a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And then this is an interesting one. Is this really fascinating? James 5, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. So here, isn't this... An interesting thing, it's tied to suffering and what we would do inside of suffering or what we did do in our prayers to sing to the Lord psalms or quote to him the psalms. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. In all ways, in all times, sing the psalms. And so why am I taking you through that? We're going through a lot of psalms that sometimes might feel repetitive to you, but I think the Lord in his mercy and grace And his wisdom is saying, I'm going to take you through the gamut of human emotions and show you that in each place and in each time and in each season, a new creation such as us, it's appropriate and right to sing. You're going to see that in a big way tonight as we start in Psalm 87. This is a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. And this is going to extol, lift up, praise, tell us the virtues of Mount Zion or Jerusalem. In fact, it says here that his foundation is in the holy mountains. Now remember, when you see sons of Korah, you should think, Wow, the mercy and grace of the Lord. Korah was part of that rebellion with Moses, swallowed up in an earthquake and all that sort of thing, and yet the Lord had a place for his sons to be in the temple and to worship and to be worshipers. Wow. Many people in organizations in the world, if there's mistakes made or uh, People take a wrong turn or don't do the right thing once or twice or three times, well, they're cut off. And so the rest of their. But here, every time we see this Sons of Korah, we think, wow, amazing. And this psalm is all about Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, just the name Jerusalem in the Bible is really pretty spectacular. It means. Those will see or they will feel the awe of, A-W-E, the peace, which is shalom. In other words, this is the place of peace. This is the place of completeness and wholeness. And God apparently, or not apparently, he does, has a special place in his heart for this city. It's called the apple of his eye. It's the thing the place that he loves. So in a biblical sense, the whole earth belongs to the Lord, but there's something about Jerusalem. In fact, he says his foundation is in the holy mountains. That's what the writer says. You know, it's one fascinating thing about Jerusalem. You're probably sick of me telling you. It's up on a mass, not a massive, but it's up on a hill mountain. In fact, the old city itself with the City of David, so the temple area and the city of David. Do you know this? There's five hills up there that this temple area and this place that was, you know, the city of, the old city of Jerusalem, it it had as its foundation five hills. Moriah, Mount Zion, Mount Offal, Mount Scopus, Mount Olivet, and you'll be on all of them if you can get to Jerusalem and Oh, by the way, all of you will be at Jerusalem at some point. We can talk about that later. But his foundation is in the Holy Mountains. I want you to catch this now. The center of his redemptive work springs out of Jerusalem. Because on Mount Moriah, you understand, Mount Moriah is where Abraham took Isaac before Jesus. But Mount Moriah is also the place that Jesus was crucified. And so all of God's redemptive work that spills out to the whole world comes from Jerusalem, the place, watch, of complete wholeness, shalom, Jerusalem. In other words, (laughs) we could just stop right here and go home. (laughs) Wholeness is found at the cross. It's the cross. All the answers of life. Everything the Bible says you need for life and godliness is found in Jesus and his work. So here you say, God's foundation is in the holy mountains. Those five hills upon which Jerusalem sits. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. I think that's just another way of saying the city of Jerusalem. More than all the dwellings of Jacob. And look. Isn't this a beautiful little way of saying it? In verse 3, glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Where would you see glorious things spoken of the city of God? I think where you'd see them is in the prophets. The prophets spoke glorious things of the city of God. If you want to check this out further, write this note down. 2 Samuel 5, 6 through 10. This is an interesting place and a fun place to look for your Bible knowledge. Why? Because this is where and when David chose Jerusalem for his capital city. The Lord directed David to choose then. So I take you through verses 1 through 3 to show you that this writer, maybe it was the sons of Korah, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was somebody else who handed the poetry or the lyrics off to the sons of Korah to put to a song No one quite knows. Maybe this was written at the time of Hezekiah. At the time of Hezekiah. If you don't have my chicken scratch about the kings, uh, it helps me. Maybe it'll help you. Uh, Hezekiah there. uh, uh, Anyway, you can see the line of uh, the Judah kings and the line of Israel kings. It's on the back table. But maybe this was at a time that Hezekiah was threatened by the Assyrians and God's army, or God, defeated them, and uh, it was a, you know, a great victorious battle that the Lord did without really Hezekiah or his military doing anything, but one of the things that happened at that time is the nations came around and sort of threatened him, and then they knocked them off, and then some... Other nations came around after the victory and wanted to offer some gifts to sort of bribe the Israelites because they knew God was on their side. Well, look at this. Then comes a very interesting few verses. I will make mention of Rahab, and Rahab here means Egypt. I'm going to make mention of Rahab. That's an avowed enemy, wouldn't you say? An avowed enemy of the Israelites? Sure. Sure. And uh, Babylon, an avowed enemy of Babylon, or excuse me, of uh, Israel is Babylon because they put Israel in exile or Judah in exile. Behold, oh Philistia, the Philistines have always been enemies of God. And Tyre, they were sort of on the northern coast of the Mediterranean Sea, up above Israel. Uh, They were very wealthy merchant area, sort of an enemy. And then Ethiopia or Cush which was northern Africa. And it seems to be saying, when you read the last part of verse 4, this one was born there. And then you go back, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Don't you love it when somebody important mentions you? (laughs) Come on, be honest. Yeah, when the COO or whatever mentions you at the, the Christmas party and says you're doing a good job. Come on, you like that. And here it seems to say that the Lord is going to make mention of the enemies of God. How and why? Because they know him. In other words, it appears that this psalm is reaching past the history into the prophetic or to the future to describe what the heavenly city of Jerusalem is going to be like. And what is going to be the key to your entrance into heaven, well, you could sum it up in this way, in John 17, John 17, verse three, just memorize this verse, and this is eternal life. Listen, this is crazy to me. I grew up thinking you had to do a million things. Help old ladies across the street. Give lots of money. Get up 4.30 in the morning. Get a big Bible. I I seriously thought this. You had to have a massive Bible, you know, and you had to underline it. and You had to smile all the time. And, And here it says, and this is eternal life. Not that you work your way to heaven, but that they know you. That there's this personal thing between you and the Lord that's made way by Jesus. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There's this sense in which you're known by God, but you know him in this intimate way. And that is what salvation is about. You have come into a place where you, as much as we can on this side of heaven, know God. That's that's powerful, man. So it's not about like, you know, a uh, you know, two-year Bible plan will get me into heaven. I mean, I want you to do the two-year Bible plan, but the two-year Bible plan is designed so you can have fellowship with the Lord and know him in a deeper way. So when you flip back to the psalm, there's going to be this fantastic thing. All tribes, all tongues, all nations, even the enemies of God, God will make mention of them and this one was born there. They're going to be born again. Isn't that cool? And of Zion, it will be said, this one and that one were born in here. It seems like there's going to be some special <laughs> commendation for being born in the city of God or the, the place of God over there. But whatever, and the Most High himself shall establish her. Uh, by the way, uh, if you turn to Galatians 4... Go over to Galatians 4, and uh, you'll see this, Galatians 4, verse 26, I believe. Yeah, verse 26 of Galatians 4. It seems, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. And of Zion, it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. It seems that Paul had that verse in mind when he wrote that back in Galatians. Isn't that crazy that these guys and gals, they knew the scriptures and they knew them well. And the Most High himself, verse 5, shall establish her. The Lord will record We, there's lots we don't know about the heavenly city and what was going to be taking place. We don't know everything, but it seems to suggest here that the Lord's going to record. you know, the Lord has a book of life. He records who's in the book of life. The Lord will record when He registers the peoples. This one was born there. God, I just want you to see something. God takes good notes. He records. See, to me, and I think for you too, and I say it all the time because I want you to know it, that helps, that helps life make sense. We're not just running around haphazardly doing stuff. That, uh, the things we do count. What we, God's been given us, it counts. We're to be good stewards and to do with what he's given us or what he's called us to do. Here it says he's going to record when he registers the people. Apparently there's going to be some sort of census or registration in the heavenly kingdom. Of course, you're going, or the heavenly city. Of course, you're going to be in the Lamb's book of life. And uh, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus. And then how about this for you worship types, you people who love to sing, and we all love to sing our heart. We've been given a new song. Both the singers and the players on instruments say, apparently there's going to be a lot of singing and playing music in heaven, in the heavenly city. Isn't that great? Yes, it's great. It's not going to be boring. It's going to be amazing, exploring all that uh, he is and all the things that happen there. And it says, all my springs are in you. Do you know there's no sea in heaven? There's no river in Jerusalem. There is gonna be an earthquake and there's gonna be some water open up, but but that's for a different day. But here, what I think the psalmist is trying to tell you is that all of our satisfaction is to be in the Lord, all the overflow, all those welling up, all the refreshment, all the revitalization, all the things we need for life, it's gonna come from the Lord. (laughs) Isn't that gonna be great? And it's great now too. You could read through Ephesians 2, 11 through 20, uh, 22. You could look in Galatians 3:26 through 29, and I'll sum it up by saying this. The Bible tells us that our citizenship is not really in Allegheny County <laughs> or wherever you live, if you're in uh, Westmoreland County or wherever, Washington County. Uh, your citizenship is in the city of God, and your membership is in the family of God, and you're seated in the heavenly places right now your position is there. That's what he's uh, gained for us, our place at the table or in the city. Isn't that great? And if you get, can come to Jerusalem with us in 2024, I'd say start saving up just now. You know, here in a couple of weeks or maybe a month or so, we'll have uh, the, the pamphlets though, that you could see how you could go with us in 2024 of March. And what you can do is you can contact the travel agent, and you can start paying now a little bit at a time so you don't have to shell out then. And I tell you, you'll be blessed, and your devotional life will just take off. So uh, we'll talk about that when we get to it. Now, this is a prayer for help and despondency. You ever had a prayer or needed a prayer for help and despondency when you were despondent? you were depressed, you were angry, you were frustrated, you didn't know where to turn, the waves of life felt like they were coming up, and you, you're just trying to get a breath, and could it's tough to get a breath, or you were walking through the fire, or whatever. You ever had those times? Well, let's talk about them here. This is the saddest psalm of them all. At first blush, There doesn't appear to be any uh, gleam or glimmer of hope. Almost every psalm in the psalms leaves you with something, a pivot. There's not much of a pivot here, (laughs) pivoting towards the Lord. But I think if you dig far enough, you're going to be blessed. Watch this. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah to the chief musician set to Mehalahoth or whatever and Lenoth. Mahalahath, or however you say that, I'm saying it wrong, I right know, but it seems some people believe that means sickness, and this Leonoth, some people believes means sadness, so set to this sick and sad tune, that's what it's saying, a contemplation of He-Man, come on, He-Man, that's funny. I don't know if that's how you say it, but uh, this he-man, however you say it, was really sad. I mean, the worst. And this guy, there's one he-man, uh, however you said he-man. He was a temple musician during David's reign. There's another one, but bo- most people believe this was the temple musician during David's reign found in 1 Chronicles 6. Watch this. O oh Lord God of my salvation, I've cried out day and night before you something was bothering him so bad he couldn't stop crying you ever had that place where you had, you you just were crying and you couldn't stop yeah that's right and just day and night he was before the lord and crying let my prayer come before you incline your ear to my cry for my soul is full of troubles and my life draw nears to the grave i mean i'm so in trouble the he-man says that I feel like I'm dead, or I'm about ready to die, or my circumstances, I wish I would die. And he's telling the Lord, isn't he here, how he feels. I'm counted with those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man who has no strength. I mean, he's weak. The he-man is weak. That makes you feel bad in all ways. Think about it. If you're counting on you're singing, or your job, and your, your place in the temple, or whatever, and you, you can't stop crying, and this thing is, you're, it's like a knot in your stomach, and the stress level is through the roof, and your cholesterol is out, and your triglycerides are up, and everything, your heart is pounding, and you're sweating, and you keep thinking about it, and you can't get any relief, and you just feel like I want to die, and I have no strength. I don't even feel like getting up. And going to the temple to sing. I'm adrift among the dead. Like the slain who lie in the grave. Whom you remember no more. And who are cut off from your hand. You've laid me in the lowest pit. In darkness in depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. Aren't you glad you came tonight? But here's the point. People feel like this sometimes. And this is real and raw and true. And you have afflicted me with all your waves. Think about it. Or Selah. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. I have no friends. I'm lonely. You've made me an abomination to them. Not only have they walked away from me, they hate me. That's how I feel. I'm shut up and I can't get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. I feel sick over this thing. Lord, I've called daily upon you. I've stretched out my hands to you will you work wonders for the dead shall the dead arise and praise you Selah? shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness in other words he's saying these things don't, these two things don't mix why am i Destroyed? Why do I feel dead? Why do I am I in such darkness? It feels like you should be pulling me out of this. And Lord, I know you could work wonders. Why haven't you? That's what he's sort of saying. Verse 13 But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? In other words, why is there never any reply? By the way, just as a side note before we keep going, Oswald Chambers says, if you're hearing nothing from the Lord, it's because he trusts you, God trusts you with his silence. I'll let you think about that. God trusts you with his silence to mature and to grow. And so uh, all of that. So here you go. Why do you hide your face from me? Verse 15, I've been afflicted and ready to die for my youth. I suffer your terrors. I'm distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulf me altogether. Look at this. <laughs> the psalm ends in darkness. Loved one, loved one and friend, you have put far for me and my acquaintances into darkness. And see, my, in my Bible, That's a sentence that's over at the end of this page. So I go like this, and I'm like, okay, here it comes. The pivot. Oh, wait a minute. The psalm's over. But here's what I want to show you. Look back in verse (laughs) 1. O Lord God of my salvation. The Lord saves. And... He has saved us if we've surrendered our life to Jesus Christ. If we haven't, he hasn't saved you from this. I want that to be clear. He saved you and I and we from the terrors of hell. And in fact, what you do deserve is not mercy and grace. What you do deserve, what I do deserve, is hell. Eternal separation from God because I am a sinner and I want to fight with Paul over this because I feel like I'm the chief of sinners. And maybe you feel that way too. And to, I'm so astounded and grateful and humbled by the fact that the Lord could save me. And so, one of the things that I think this psalm is telling us is this is real, this is raw. Sometimes we get to these places. But if all the Lord ever did for you, or me, was save us, that was more than enough. That's the greatest and the best. And we could never repay him. And it's incredible. And so I think what the Lord is doing, at least for me, is yes, there are times where we feel like this, But let's remember, first things first, he saved us. Psalm 88. Psalm 89. This is a psalm that really heavily focuses on the eternal covenant that God made with David. And you need to know that in 2 Samuel 7. God made an eternal covenant with David that someone from David's line would eternally sit on the throne of Israel. The problem is, for a lot of people, they go, well, wait a second. I don't see any um, king over there. And there is no king over there. So what's the deal? Is the Bible wrong? Is the Bible not right? No, we know that the Lord's going to come back from the tribe of Judah which contained David, and he's going to sit on the throne forever. But you need to know that this one here, maybe Ethan, the (laughs) Ezraite, it says it in the title there, is praying and thinking about that covenant. That'll make more sense if you know what that is. Here it is. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. What is a mercy? It's God withholding what you do deserve. And boy, do we love mercy. We love mercy for ourselves. We don't like it so much for other people. Just turn on the news and figure out what your, your opposing political party is doing right then. See how you react. It's not very merciful. But we love mercy for ourselves, and I, we pray, and we pray, uh, maybe this could be a prayer, for us together in 2023 that the Lord would show us how to be more merciful or even better, give us the strength and the resource to be more merciful by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Here it says, I'll sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. If you've ever received a mercy from God, you just want to sing about it. You know. You didn't deserve it. And it's humbling, isn't it? You want to sing. I'll sing. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. The Lord is faithful. What he says he'll do, he'll do. You know, one of the things you try to be as a parent is faithful. But I got to tell you, you're not always faithful. One time I promised our kids to go to the back porch, great restaurant down in, if everybody got straight A's and we're still waiting to go together. That wasn't very faithful. By the way, in fairness to me, somebody got a B, but oh well. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, sometimes you're not going to be faithful, but the Lord is faithful in all things. He's faithful to love you. He's faithful to chasten you. He's faithful to use, listen to this, every single circumstance of your life, every single circumstance of your life not every single circumstance of your life is good but he uses it for good you get the difference so everything he can take and turn around and make you more christ-like if you'll cooperate with him if i'll cooperate with him he's faithful in all these things and the things that he's told us about the future they will come true peter even tells us that there's going to be many people who are going to scoff at the Lord's agenda, and you for believing it. But it is coming true. That's his faithfulness. And he's faithful not just a little bit, but always to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up uh, forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. The psalmist here is praying. I've made a covenant with my chosen. Remember, Second Samuel 7. He starts to talk about it. I have sworn to my servant David. It's like God speaking here. Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. One of the things that should be full in our mouths as we come in here in the assembly of the saints is how faithful the God is. And not just say it, Because it's Christianese speak, but because we've experienced the faithfulness of God and we want to tell others about how faithful God is. By the way, an attribute of God, look it up in Spurgeon's um, uh, chart of attributes, and you'll be blessed. Uh, And the heavens will praise you, your your, your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the saints, for who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? That's one of the great things about the Lord. He's unique. There's nothing or no one like him. Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. Now, I've got to tell you, I struggle with this as the pastor, you know, there's some people who say, you know, when you walk in the side doors, front doors, before you get up here, you should be somber and reverent, reverential and, you know, you shouldn't be laughing. I was, when I first got out of law school, I was on the council of my church back home. And I remember one of the council members getting irate in a council meeting because somebody would come up and they'd be laughing in the back of the sanctuary all the time. If that were true, we'd all get kicked out of here. But... <laughs> But I can remember that, and that really was like, wow, that's really weird or, I don't know, harsh maybe or something. And yet, there's this sense in which we should be reverent. And I'm not saying laugh and love and fellowship. No, that's not what I'm saying. But there's a sense in which, in modern society, I think we can be too cavalier with the Lord. Like, he's somebody like our buddy. I mean, he, the Bible does describe him as our friend, and yet he is a friend, one that we respect and reverence and are in awe of, and he always brings good things. But, you know, he's not my homeboy or my homie or whatever people were going around. I mean, he's not that. And I think when we come in here, yes, (laughs) no one's saying stop smiling or laughing. I mean, I think the Lord looks down upon that and goes, wow, those people love each other. That's what I think the Lord says. But then when it's time, you know, that thing that clicks in our heart where we just, we're in reverence of the lord and in awe of the lord i want that for us for 2023 but boy i see it in you folks it's really special when it's time to worship time to love there is this reverence for the lord but anyway that's something i think a pastor thinks about maybe they you know the the elder team but but here you, you know uh god is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and sometimes too by the way I just feel like when I go home, oh, why do I have to joke around so much? I'm just being honest with you. And that's part of my nature, but mm, I get home and I just go, oh, why? I did it again. And yet, God loves to see us loving one another. So anyway, you see my struggle. He's greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise. You still them. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain, talking about Egypt. You've scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world in all its fullness. You've founded them. The north and the south, you've created them. Tabor. That's a mountain in the Jezreel Valley. It's directly across from the, uh, uh, Mount Carmel, and it's in the Valley of Megiddo there. And you could look right across from Mount Carmel, and you could see Mount Tabor. And you want to know that because most people believe that's where the transfiguration occurred, the transfiguration and uh, uh, some other places. And then there's this mountain called Mount Hermon. It's more north way up north in Israel, and it's the biggest mountain in Israel, and it's real beautiful. You could even ski up there. Uh, some other people believe that's where the transfiguration took place. But he's, what he's saying is these big mountains rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm, strong as your hand, and high as your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. That's why you don't have to sweat it about all the stuff that's bugging you and driving you nuts about our society you get this because he's going to set everything right and it's going to be perfectly just and when it's done when he makes the judgment everybody's going to go "Hmm, fair so righteousness and justice they just That there are the foundation of his throne. And mercy, mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. Oh my. What's the joyful sound? What is the joyful sound? I want to know what the joyful sound is. I think it's this. I think it's when somebody is sitting here and, you know, they might not even be a very good, like me, guitar player. Here's what I think the joyful sound is. It's that new song in somebody's heart. And maybe they can't play the guitar, but you know what they do? They just want to do it for the Lord. I think that's a joyful sound. And it's here sitting here on a Sunday and you're singing blessed assurance and somebody pulls out a flute, a flute in this place. You don't get it. This was in a living room and it was beautiful and it was awesome. Wasn't it awesome? I'm sitting there like a flute. Where'd that come from? I think that's a joyful sound. I think when you sing here, it's a joyful sound, even if you're not really, you know, great. But No, I'm kidding. But you know what I'm saying? It's not the, it's not the technical part of it. It's what's in here. I think all of that's the joyful sound. I think when, it's, when you're at home and you've been in a fight with somebody and you say, I'm sorry, that's a joyful sound. I think when, you know, one of your kids or maybe somebody in your family needs encouragement, and you walk over to them and say, hey, it doesn't matter that you failed at that. You're still my kid and I still love you. I think that's a joyful sound. And I think it's, edifying people and bringing them up. And I think it's encouraging people and bringing them up and all the sounds that are made in doing that. And I think it's sharing the spiritual hymns and psalms with people and all that is wrapped up. Don't you just want to make a joyful sound with your life? I think it's bowing down on your knee with a cup of water and washing somebody's feet or helping them with clothes that they didn't have before because they're freezing cold and you've been able to give them to them I think it's the sound of the pans or whatever I don't know how to cook but food being made because somebody doesn't have anything to eat and the Lord's like oh, that's it all of this to serve and to love and to bow down to, and, to, and to help people in my name that's the joyful sound and it's all of that and more And so, blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. We should get a placard back there. and Put that back there. That's amazing. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. How can they make the joyful sound? I want you to catch this. They can only make the joyful sound as much as the Lord's face has shined upon them. And you've basked in the glow of the Lord. You catch that? That's how to make the joyful sound. It's not to conjure it up or to to be self-disciplined, although discipline's good. It's to be with the Lord. And then the blessed are the people who know this sound. And here, you ever wanted a verse that's more blessed to give than to receive? There it is. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound of giving and loving and serving and forgiving and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's powerful. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. For you're the glory of their strength, and in your favor our horn is exalted. We become powerful, but only when the Lord does it. We're strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. For our shield belongs to the Lord, and our king to the Holy One of Israel. Then you spoke in a vision to your Holy One, and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people, speaking of David, first and foremost. I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have uh, anointed him with whom my hand shall be established. Also, my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I'll beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. This is pretty interesting thing. He's saying here too, I think, there's this element to this, is that David was going to be faithful in small things. Matthew 25, 21, then God would move him on to greater things. And so just think about that in your life. What has God called you to? I mean, think about it in the local church. This is part of serving. What has God called you to? Has he called you to be the greeter? Well, go down there and be the best greeter in the Lord you could ever be. And see what the Lord does. As God called you to set up the chairs, be here early. Set up the chairs. Don't let make me and Xander sweat. But he be here and just put them up and do it. And do it as unto the Lord. Or whatever. I'm just making something up. And then just be faithful in that. And then the Lord will add. And he did it for David. I mean, David was the... Last kid. Nobody even thought about it. And he rose to this place where he could knock off a giant. And then even farther, the greatest king of Israel. Why? Because he was faithful in the small things. You imagine when people come and they say, you know, I want to do some great ministry here at the church. Oh, okay. Well, how about you uh, take out the sheep, go away, get away from us, and you just spend time with the sheep and just be with them and uh, house them and feed them and take care of them and tend to them. Or if you were in a family, let's just put you with the sheep. What most of us say is, what do you mean? I wanna do ministry. See, but the Lord needs to take you into those places where you can just commune with him. And that's what David did. He didn't whine and cry that his other brothers were older or better or better looking or dad liked him more. No, he just went out with the sheep and did an amazing job got to the place where he could kill wild animals. But what really he was doing all that time was communing with the Lord. He didn't waste it. Moses didn't waste it. He had 40 years with Pharaoh, 40 years in Midian. Can you imagine being in the Pharaoh's palace? And now he comes and he's going to go back with his, you know, his people. And the Lord says, I want you to go on the backside of the desert and spend 40 years with the sheep. Oh, That's not what I had in mind for ministry, Lord. You don't know me. I'm a great guy. That's probably what Moses was thinking some. God always does that to a person to prepare him for ministry. And so I think there's this element here in 22, 23, 24, where it's talking about how David was just faithful in the small things and God brought him on to greater things. And also with us. Also, I'll set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He'll cry to me, you're my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. David there becomes a picture of Christ, a type of Christ. My mercy I'll keep for him forever. My covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever, and his his, uh, throne is the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and don't walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I'll punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness, I will not utterly take for him. Speaking of the Davidic covenant, I think, in the long term. Uh, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David," second Samuel 7, His seed shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever, like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Now remember, the kings of Israel and Judah went away. They ran through David and Solomon and then a whole long line and list of them. And now we still don't have a king. And nevertheless, God's word will come to pass. You can bank on it. But you have cast off and abhorred, for you have been furious with your anointed. You've renounced the covenant of your servant. You've profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You've broken down all his hedges. You've brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass by the way plunder him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. You've exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You've made all his enemies rejoice. You've also turned back the edge of his sword and have not sustained him in battle. You have made his glory ceased and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with shame. And then, like like many of the Psalms, how long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created, all the children of men? What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore to David your truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord." with which they have approached the footsteps of the anointed, or of your anointed. By the way, the king of Judah was taken captive to Babylon, done some bad things to him up in Babylon, and so that may be uh, a reference to what happened when uh, the uh, kings were, or excuse me, the Israelites, or the, those from Judah, were taken in uh, captivity. And then I purposely didn't read to you Psalm uh, 89, verse 52. Why? Because that's the conclusion of book number three. Do you remember this? Every book of the Psalms has a conclusory verse. Psalm uh, 41, verse 13. Psalm 72, 18 through 19. And here is the conclusion to the la- or the third book. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. Now, don't go anywhere, because we've got to do the prayer of Moses. The oldest psalm there is. This starts Book 4, Psalms 90 through 106. And I want you to see something before we go. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, you know, this is Moses, apparently, who's writing this psalm. Did you know uh, uh, that in the wilderness, in Numbers 33... Numbers 33 tells us that there were, mark this, who here has moved a lot? Raise your hand if you've moved a lot. Have you moved 42 times? In Numbers 33, it shows us that there were 42 different places that Israel camped during their wilderness journey. 42 different places. How weary would you be if you were Moses, having to all those millions of people And get them up and get them going and get them to the next place. And how stressed would you be? And how, right? And all of that. In your humanness, wouldn't that be rough? But here, I want you to see something. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth. And he talks till now. Now I want you to catch this and we're almost done. But if you catch this, oh, the blessing that it'll be to your heart. Because what does the Bible tell us in John 15? Almost the whole chapter, 1 through 11. Jesus tells us to do what? In John 15, we're to abide in him. And what does that mean? It means to stay under, to receive from, to keep coming back to, always be there under the Lord, receiving his resource, his beauty, his strength, his love, his forgiveness, his character by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we abide in Jesus, we receive all that we need from Jesus. So that, watch this, so that no matter what happens to you, you have to pack up and go, 42 times. You're not counting on the comforts of society or home or career or friendship or anything. What you're counting on, your dwelling place, your refuge, your home, is not the house you live in. It's Jesus himself. That's what uh, Moses said, that's what Moses had to learn man i weren or I, yeah I packed up and had these people in forty two different campsites, but at the end of it all, what i 've discovered this is what Moses is telling is you 're the dwelling place for all generations it 's you that i 'd gain my comfort and strength, not some place or not some homestead. you get it, oh man, I think that 's amazing, so I hope you do too and Here it says this, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What a high picture of God's eternality. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. That seems to be, listen, that seems harsh there in, in a way that doesn't come through in the Hebrew. He's talking there about you reverse the curse. That's what he's talking about there. You take man and they go back to dust, but you can reverse the curse. Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past. And like a watch in the night, you carry them away like a flood. No man, listen, I'm enduring these 40 years, Moses is saying, these grumbling people. I just could do this, but now that I found refuge and strength in the Lord, ah, oh. 40 years seems like that, because I'm with you, Lord. That's what he's saying. Like a watch in the night. They are like a sleep in the morning. They are like grass which grows up. I can endure it. It's, it's, It's pleasant. I can endure it because I'm making a joyful noise. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it's cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath, we're terrified. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. Uh, Some believe uh, this is speaking of their failures at Kadesh Barnea. You know, when they first came out of Egypt and they went to Kadesh Barnea, uh, they had some grumbling and some complaining and, you know, God sent spies up into the promised land and the spies come back and say, Oh, man, you can't believe what's up in this promised land. It's amazing up there. And the spies say, you know, there are some tough characters up there, and it's going to take a fight, but wow, what the Lord has for us, amazing. And 10 of them say, we ain't going back there. And two of them say, what do you mean we're not going back there? We're going back there. And the Lord takes note of it. And something that should have taken months took 40 years. And so some people believe this psalm down here is uh, in this area of the psalm is speaking of that failure at Kadesh Barnea. But I want you to see something here, folks, especially if you're involved in pornography or um, something that you do secretly. It's not being hidden from the Lord. He knows our secret sins or maybe you're a gossiper or whatever. For all our days have passed in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it's soon gone off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So you know one of the things that God is, he's a school teacher or a teacher, Or he brings you into class, the class of life. And one of the things that he says is, look, you think 70 or 80 years is a long time. Man, I used to think 70 or 80 years was a long time. And then I got uh, turned around about, uh, you know, last year and I'm 55 years old. And I'm like, oh, that's not that long. (laughs) And you probably have figured that out as well. But here's what the Lord says. You want to do something great for yourself? Count every day as special. That the Lord can do something and will do something in and through your life, even in the most mundane. Maybe you're pumping gas and you could share with somebody across the aisle. Maybe you're in the grocery store and you see somebody crying and you could pray with them. Maybe you have a AAA guy come to your house because you're an idiot like me and share with him. Uh, Maybe, who knows, in the mundane things of life. count these days, number our days, know that they're special and that the Lord can get and when uh, can do things in and through you. And when you wake up in the morning, don't just let it be, I got to go to work and do all this. What can you use me for here today? I'm at your service. I'm excited about it, Lord, because my days are numbered here on earth. My days with you are forever. That we could gain a heart of wisdom and return, O Lord, come back again. How long? And have compassion on your servants. Oh, satisfy us. That's the other part of the school lessons. Teach us, Lord. Satisfy us. You know, there's something about early with your mercy. There's something about every morning getting up and being with the Lord. I got to tell you, man, that's a struggle for me because I'm a night person. I do my best work, it feels like, at night. I like to read at night. I like to pray at night. So that's a struggle for me. But there's something about your first fruits with the Lord. And the Lord just says, open up your mouth and I'll fill it. Another psalm. And I'll satisfy you early. Romans 11 says, if the first lump is holy, the whole lump will be. The whole part will be. Or the whole body will be. In other words, that first part of you, if you've given it off to the Lord... Oh, what the Lord can do. But here's the point. The Lord can satisfy you. If you're satisfied in the Lord, you're going to be so much healthier for other people. Did you catch that? If you're just satisfied with the Lord, oh, you're going to be a better husband. You're going to be a better wife. You're going to be a better friend. You're going to be a better singled friend. Whatever it is, whatever it is, Lord. If I'm satisfied in you, I'm healthy to reach out and to love others, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Lord, even in the 40-year wanderings, teach us, help us to number these days. I know they're going to go fast. Make us glad, even though we're sick of the food and all that sort of thing, and we're sick of being out here. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Here's what I pray. I pray that you and I and we would understand how beautiful the Lord is, how holy the Lord is, how kind the Lord is, how forgiving the Lord is, how merciful the Lord is, gracious, majestic, how gracious, how he wants to pour into you, how he's a a, a graceful God. And here I pray that you and I, as we move on in this year, That our first thoughts would not be ESPN or our phone or Netflix or anything like that, but that it would be that we would be satisfied in the Lord as he teaches us to number our days. I only have a few years left. You know what some guy did to me the other day at my house? I was like, why are you doing this to me? He goes, hey, how old are you? And I go, okay, I'm 55. And he he goes, well, how long is uh, lifespan? And I said, oh, about 74, I think. I don't know, 74, 75. And he took out his tape measure. And he goes, oh, 74. Look where you are. <laughs> I go, oh, thanks a lot, buddy. <laughs> but man, it was impactful. It was impactful. So if the Lord doesn't come back first, at best, you know, 20 years now or so. 20 years. I thought 20 years was... Anyway... So I don't know about you, but man, for those rest of my days, I want to count them. I want them to count. I want to invest them. I don't want to just spend them and waste them. And there's many people who are hurting and struggling and dying in their sins. And whoever the Lord brings across our path, oh that we would make a joyful noise to them and that they would be be influenced by the aroma of Christ. Some will be repelled, it'll be the smell of death, but to others it'll be a smell of life and light and eternal life. And I know the Lord has work for me and things to do at my job and I wanna do that well and yes, and be an influence there too. So that many in the legal world would come to know Jesus. That's just where I move, but you move in a different area So in your areas that many would come to know Jesus, that's because our days are numbered here on earth. We'll be with him forever. We'll never regret loving somebody. Authentically loving them. Caring for somebody. Being kind to somebody. Sharing the gospel with somebody. You'll never regret it. And so I pray as we move out from here, these would be the cries of our heart this year, 2023. Lord, as we bow our heads, Lord, give us the resource by your Holy Spirit to make a joyful noise unto the world. The world is looking for joy when all they see is confusion and anger and hurt and cheating and scandal and perversion. They're looking for joy and you give joy pure joy (laughs) at the cross Lord so I pray you'd give each one of these people in this sanctuary and the kids across the street and others who are listening I pray Lord that you would give them many opportunities this week to share your love and light with a lonely lost dark hurting dead dying world in Jesus name we pray Amen.